are in the third week of this sermon series. The first week, Pastor Dave preached on, we cling to the God of peace. And last week, he spoke on, we cling to the God of resurrection. So he had a back-to-back, because <laughs> nobody would claim it. <laughs> so, so he chose, and he did a really good job. Today, I have the privilege to speak on, we cling to the God that sees us. And I've invited some other voices to also speak into this message. I'd imagine most of us are familiar with Abram and Sarai. We are first introduced to Abram in Genesis 11. In chapter 12, the Lord tells Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Then for the next couple of verses, the Lord continues to tell Abram that he will bless him and bless those who bless him. The Lord sort of lays it on thick, using the word bless or blessing or blessed five times in two verses. Even telling Abram in verse 7 of the same chapter, to your offspring, I will give this land. Abram is 75 at this time. So imagine this scenario. Abram is 75. Sarai, his wife, is also getting along in years. And he and Sarai can quote God as saying, I will make you into a great nation. And to your offspring, I will give this land. And of course, in order to be a great nation, you need offspring yet they are childless. In the next few chapters, we read of Abram making some interesting choices regarding his beautiful wife. He's moving from place to place with Sarai, his household, and his nephew Lot. He then separates from his nephew, then he rescues his nephew. We all know that story of his wife being turned into uh, to a pillar of salt. Not a good, not a good story for Mother's Day. Uh, by chapter 15, Abram and Sarai have lived a busy and full life. They are older and they are still childless. Abram, who has this promise from God in the back of his mind, starts to question if a servant in his household will be his heir. God assures him that no servant will be his heir, but a son who is of his own flesh and blood will be his heir. Abram believed the Lord, and soon after the Lord made a covenant with Abram, telling him very specifically of the land his descendants would be given. So all of this is context for what I really want to talk about today, and so reading from Genesis 16, also familiar to many of us. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has given me, the Lord has kept me, uh, kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her, to, to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And doing a little research on this, it's not the despised kind of like, oh, that woman over there. It, it was, she knew that there was this tension that exists. She knew there was this pain that exists and sort of responding to that. So sometimes Hagar can be painted as, oh, you just weren't grateful. It's like, no, she was in a bad situation. This is legitimately uh, this pain that she felt and was responding to that. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I will put my slave, I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Talk about getting rid of a problem there. 
Do with her whatever you think. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a stream in the desert. It was the stream that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and to submit to her. That would be a hard one. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much so that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Isn't that beautiful? This chapter is packed with meaning. So much so that there's parts of it that scholars have extensively debated. And with our present day understanding of men and women and slavery and expectations of God-fearing people, this chapter is really, really difficult and truthfully painful to read. Yet when we look at Hagar, what do we know? Who do we see? We know that she is female. We know that she is foreign. We know that she is enslaved. It is not known for certain, however. However, it is likely that she was acquired when Pharaoh told Abram and Sarai to leave Egypt after a plague was brought upon Pharaoh's household. So a young woman of childbearing age is forced to leave her home and is eventually given in marriage to an old man with a goal of bearing a child for him and his wife. Can you all imagine this? Can you imagine being maybe in your 20s and being forced to marry somebody 60-something years older than you? There is nothing in this for her. This is not of her will. This was the will, this was the way of life. Author and pastor Jenny Ray Armstrong in her article, Hagar, the Disenfranchised and the God Who Sees, writes, the fact that this was a common practice and that forced and child marriage is still a common practice in many parts of the world doesn't make it any less horrible. No one is asking Hagar how she feels about this. No one seems to care. After Hagar runs away, she is introduced to the God who cares. A God foreign to her, yet one who cares for her. Her and her son, oh, sorry, let me back up a little bit. You are Elroy, the God who sees me. After this encounter with God, Hagar does return to Abram and Sarai's household. Her and her son reside there until they are sent away in chapter 21. Again, God is present to her and her son. This God has seen and rescued her and her son and has promised to make Ishmael into a great nation. I wonder if the reality of being seen by God and naming him stayed with her and gave her identity and strength and purpose as she lived in this land. When reflecting on Hagar, especially when she fled after being mistreated, I think there's plenty of her situation that is relatable for each of us. Maybe different parts of her story relate to different people. There might be parts that just are not part of your story of, of the abuse, etc. But whether it's being uprooted from what you have known to be somewhere new, 
or mistreatment in the hands of people who are supposed to be good and even godly, or feeling uncared for and unseen. I think we can all relate at least to the latter. Sometimes up here it's easy to talk in generalities. We all feel seen. We all want to be known. This is all true. I did have to stop and think, okay, I'm talking about we cling to the God that sees us. Well, what does that mean to me? Because it's easy sometimes to be like, oh, all of us, but what does that mean to Tiana? I have to get away from the generalities sometimes, and I'm reminded by friends who read my sermons, like, where are you in this? And two stories come to mind. I know I've shared this in some context before, maybe up here, so sorry if I'm repeating myself, but it, it, it seemed to fit. 2020 was a hard year. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> For obvious reasons, a global pandemic, life as we knew it, and even know it, uh, was completely altered, it completely changed. Then on top of that, racism and police brutality seemed to reach an unprecedented level. How many times did we hear the word unprecedented with a variety of things? All right, where am I, sorry. Um, for me, someone who feels very deeply, the pain was unbearable. The racism, the xenophobia, the brutality. I usually am pretty verbal when struggling, but I went very, very inward, like not good inward. And the narrative of maybe black lives don't matter was ringing loudly in my ears. Like, you know when you start to believe something, you're like, no, 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 don't go down that path. That was, I was starting to believe, well, maybe this is true. The world seems to be saying, or parts of the world, that this is true. Uh, this message bombarded me. I can only say that I don't know specifically when the turnaround happened, but it did happen, thankfully. And I realized that the devil is a liar. <laughs> and the people on the media and in other places do not represent the heart of God. Yes, yes, thank you, Lord. I should have spoke up sooner, <laughs> but thank you, Lord, that I did. These truths came. A shift had taken place in me. And the eternal dialogue became, I do matter. God does see me. I am made in his image. I am Imago Dei. It was powerful to know that this was true. He is El Roy, the God who sees me. My second story is less of a story and more of an acknowledgement. Have you ever had someone who saw you? I mean, really saw you. I mean, they know all the stuff. <laughs> they know all the mistakes. You've been really transparent. And they love you. Really, really love you. Well, I have had people like that in my life. They are encouraging. They are kind. They do rebuke me from time to time. <laughs> They've helped me with my education financially. And these people are people that truly, truly see me. I really believe that God put them in my path so that I might creatively know his love through them. Because all these people are so different, you know. But it's like, God, you're sort of cool and kind of creative in who you've actually allowed um, me to know and them to know me. So earlier I mentioned that I invited others to contribute to this message. Before introducing them, I want to give you some background as to how I know them. I'm a student at North Park Theological Seminary. I'm enrolled in a specific program called the School of Restorative Arts, or the SRA program, 
and I have to acknowledge, I have to stop right here and just say we have a graduate, somebody that's graduating on Saturday. Can you stand, David Denson? So me, me and David had, have had some classes together and he's graduating at North Park on Saturday. This program started about five years ago at Stateville Correctional Center. The format of this program is that inside students, those incarcerated, and outside students like me take classes together and have community together. And let me just say, when I say have community together, the first day that in 2020, when we had gone into class in this maximum security prison, we're in this big classroom, I mean, these guys don't waste time getting to know you. It's like, I mean, they want to know your salvation story. They want to know what you're doing to work on that. Tiana, why are you being so quiet in class? Like, it is community on, I don't know, 100, because they have a limited amount of time, first of all, a couple hours, and the breaks are short, but they also just want to be real. They don't want to talk about the fluff or what's on the news. I mean, that kind of comes up in there, but they want these real relationships, and many of them are believers, and wow, do they know their Bible. So the School of Restorative Arts offers a Master's of Arts in Christian Ministry with a Restorative Arts track. And from what I've heard, they're changing the name, thank God, because I feel like there's so many words to this name, but it's gonna be like restorative justice, which I love. And the focus of the program is to include positive race relations and cultural differences, nonviolent communication, deepening of one's faith, servant leadership, as well as typical seminary classes, because we are trained to be pastors, like OT, New T, um, Old Testament, New Testament, theology, church history, and much more. And some of us weren't, haven't been super smart, and we saved for all the hard ones for the end of our, <laughs> end of our uh, four years. <laughs> so I'm entering all my difficult classes. Even though we had to abruptly end going inside when, when COVID hit in 2020, and even lost a few classmates to COVID, a community had been built, lifelong friendships cemented. And we have continued with correspondence and Zoom class, and one group even gets to go inside, so I'm a little jealous of them. Another campus was added about a year ago, Logan Correctional Center in Lincoln, Illinois. These women are in their second semester of the SRA program, and I am blessed to be in the New Testament class with them. So this has just been such a treat to have two semesters now with them. I picked Mother's Day knowing that there are moms in my class and wanting them and any of the women to contribute to, we cling to the God who sees us. We are at the end of the semester, so you will hear from four classmates who made some time for us in the midst of writing multiple papers and who are hoping to see this recording in the near future. They were smart, I added way too much <laughs> to this week. So first hearing from Rita Joe, she wrote this in three parts kind of like a play. The God who sees you, a reflection. <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me, hello? Uh, what's the use? I feel like I'm invisible. Nobody sees me. Nobody listens, nobody cares. Wish I could just crawl in a hole and die. What would it matter? Nobody would miss me. Could be months before anyone even noticed I was gone. That world would be better off without me. Ever feel like that? I have, still do sometimes. I have felt the force of gravity pulling me ever deeper into the darkness of that sinkhole. Cold, dark, damp. 
standing on the brink of death, welcoming it like a long lost friend, wrapping me in its final embrace. It's the closest thing to acceptance I've ever known. If death wants me, I will gladly go. At least I won't hurt like this anymore. I just want to lay here and wait for death to come get me. Jesus loves me, this I know. What the heck? Must be what they mean about your life passing before your eyes. Haven't heard that song since I was a kid in Sunday school. For the Bible tells me so. The Bible? Oh yeah. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. He saw Gideon hiding in a wine press, Judges 6, 14. He saw Hagar set to die in the wilderness, Genesis 16, 13, and 14. What was it Hagar said? Elroy, the living one who sees me? I guess you see me too. God, thank you, Lord, for seeing me when nobody else does. Thank you for encouraging me and giving me strength to go on. Help me to see others who feel invisible. Give me your eyes, Lord. Thank you for giving me this song to live by. For your listening pleasure, she wants you all to listen to Give Me Your Eyes, which you can find on YouTube. And I just want to say thank you, Rita Rita Joe. I can hear Rita Joe speaking this over us. And in this, she reminds us of the hope of a God who sees us when nobody else does. What a gift. My classmate Karen wrote, this is what the Lord says. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for the reward of your work will come. This is the Lord's declaration, and your children will return from their enemy's land. There is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration, and your children will return to own their own territory. Jeremiah 31, 16 and 17. And this is Karen speaking. This is a promise from God that I have stood on for the past 17 years. I know that God will restore my relationship with my daughter, that I will be able to be a part of her life and my granddaughter's. God is so faithful. Praise God, and he will receive and deserve all the honor and glory. Stand on God's word. Thank you, Karen. Karen reminds us of God's promises. The verses she chose from Jeremiah speak of sadness and loss, but also of hope and restoration. My classmate Wendy wrote, my God has been present in my life, forming me and loving me since birth or before. I feel his presence every second of every day. When I cry out, when I laugh, when I vent, it's to my God. He sees me, he hears me. He blessed me with children, beautiful years in his service and still blesses me. My God allows me to continue to work for his kingdom in this prison and in the lives of those around me. This isn't prison to me. It's time spent in his service in a dark place. I joyfully serve him here and I will continue to do so when I leave here for the next mission field. He sees me. He hears me. He is with me every second of every day. Thanks be to God. These verses have been my lifeline forever. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 2 and 3. Thank you, Wendy. Wendy knows her God is safe to go to with all of who she is. She sees him, he hears her, 
And she knows that in prison, a dark place, that she is walking with him in the mission he has for her there. And lastly, from my classmate Phoenix, when I hear the phrase, the God who sees me, I think of the God who is ever-present even when I feel alone. I think of the God that is with my son, although I can't physically be present. I've come to know a God that has walked through all of my suffering and hasn't left me yet. Psalm 139 supports that God is ever-present. Deuteronomy 31.8 supports not being alone. 1 Peter 5.10 supports God with me in suffering. Thank you, Phoenix. Phoenix reminds us of an ever-present God. She leans on him and his word, his truth. Each of these women have a story. Four of them shared parts of their story with us. Like us, there is the combination of joy and sorrow, sin and redemption, laughter and longing, and more. What has been said to me and other classmates from outside regarding what is valued and appreciated is being known and being in the, pro in the process of learning together. Churches have come in and have preached about sin and condemnation and what these women are doing wrong, but haven't seen them, haven't gotten to know them, and that was their biggest request from the church. When somebody this last week said, what do you want from the church? The women just said, we want people to come in and sit with us. They're like that. The professors would come and be with us and just, you know, have their lunch with us, that you all get online with us and come in person. Just be with us. See us, please. It's a pretty, that's, that's a doable request. None of us are better or worse than them. As students, we all pay, have papers due at the same time. There are things we love about seminary, plenty that we're all complaining about regarding seminary. <laughs> We have lots in common and plenty that makes us different from each other. But we get to be seen. We get to be. We see them and they see us. And in this process of learning and growing in faith together, we are aware of a God that sees all of us. Elroy.